You are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Bicycle Retail Radio. My name is David DeKaiser. I do retail consulting for the NBDA's P2 Consult Program. You can find more information on that program and all the other great benefits the NBDA provides its members on the NBDA's website, nbda.com. Today's guest is Karen Wiener, who, along with her husband, Brett Thurber, own and operate two e-bike-only retail stores in the San Francisco Bay Area. And with that, welcome, Karen, and thanks for taking some time out from what I can guess is a busy day to join us. Thanks, David. Nice to be here. So most of the retailers that are going to be listening to this probably own and operate traditional retail bicycle stores where they're selling a wide variety of different product. Can you kind of give us a history of your business? What spurred the idea to do a e-bike only store and kind of bring us up to the present day just to give us some background and context. And first I want to say you've been open for 10 years, so congratulations on that. But yeah, if you can kind of give us a little history of your business, that would be great. Absolutely. Yeah, this will be our 10th year, but where we started doesn't look anything like where we are today. So Brett and I met at UC Berkeley and he was studying history and I was studying anthropology. It was 2010 and, you know, we were all, it was, well, no, we'd met before that, but in 2010, when Brett graduated, the economy was essentially in shambles and we decided, well, Brett became interested in the idea of electric bikes as transportation. He was a very utilitarian bicyclist, just get to school, get back, that's about it. Had a you know specialized commuter bike. And I am originally from Denmark and have been back and forth a lot and used a bicycle heavily between high school and the end of college. And so I was also sort of a practical bicyclist. But the idea of electric bikes was sort of, you know, it was on the margins of things. There were students that we were talking to at Berkeley who had come back from war and were using electric bikes to get around people who were handicapped. There was an article in the New York Times that talked about these e-bikes um, that they were using for vacations and tours in the Swiss Alps. And it sounded like magic. It sounded just unbelievable. And so Brett started to look for something similar here in the Bay Area because all of a sudden he just realized that it was such an obvious way to get around and wasn't really able to find much. There were a couple very small e-bike retailers and one bicycle store that carried the Trek Ride Plus bikes. And so the Trek Ride Plus was really the first high quality e-bike that Brett ever tried. And when he tried it, he realized, man, this is unbelievable. Why is it not big news? So first he tried to get a job with a regular bike shop specializing in electric bikes and nobody wanted to hire him because they thought that the market was too small. And so we opened a little e-bike shop out of our apartment. We had basically four bikes on consignment that were in our little one-bedroom apartment. And my dad and Brett built a e-bike powered 
e-bike trailer and he would go around to farmers markets and street fairs and try to get people to try electric bikes. And then if somebody bought one, he would deliver it to their house on this trailer. And so that was, you know, about the first nine months or so. And then we ended up working with a friend who was opening a bicycle rental business for tourism in San Francisco. And Brett had a small wall in that shop and helped start the shop and staff it in exchange for being able to have a sort of quasi brick and mortar space. And that's when we realized that having a location was really important because you had customers who were making big investments. So at the time, the bikes we were selling were already over $3,000, which was a big deal. So they were making major investments and we realized how useful it was to have, you know, a mechanic on hand and to have a brick and mortar space that people could kind of experience the whole experience in. So I graduated that year and we decided to open the new wheel in San Francisco. And we were for once lucky because of the economy, because we were able to find a really sweet spot for a pretty good deal finally. And, and the landlord decided he would take the risk on leasing to a couple of 20, I guess we were 22 at the time. No, we were 23. So the landlord took a risk on us and we opened with about $50,000 and a lot of hard work. And we've been growing it from there. And so now we have two stores, an offsite service center. And we have, I think today we've got 28 employees. Wow. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of employees to handle. That's a lot of employees, yeah. But it's a lot of bikes. So so we sell we sell a lot of bikes. Everybody's very busy. You know, we're in a pretty we don't have much seasonality, so we stay busy all year long. And e-bikes, if even in the rain, people are willing to ride e-bikes more than they're willing to ride regular bikes. So we, you know, twenty seven full time employees is not quite enough at this point, or twenty eight. We're still hiring. How big are your stores, square footage-wise? Small compared to most bicycle stores. They are about 1,500 square feet each. Depends on how you measure them. We have outdoor space on both of them in both stores that we can move bikes in and out of, but basically between 1,500 and 2,000 square feet each. Okay, and is that enough space for you? Or would you, it seems like there'd be a lot of elbow rubbing going on yeah, so there historically was a lot of elbow rubbing going on. So we opened our first store with just a thousand square feet. And by the time we signed a lease for the downstairs area there, I think we were doing like, uh, I want to say almost $2 million of business out of it, out of a thousand square feet. And the amount of elbow rubbing was obscene. It was really, you have to like who you work with and you have to be driven, you know, be really patient with each other. In the Bay Area, you know, we have benefits like less weather fluctuation during the year, but we've got some pretty serious downside too. And rent is one of those. And so we don't really have any choice. We can't afford a bigger space. And so it's actually a really useful challenge for us. It's challenged us to develop a model that's really unlike most bike shops. And it challenges us to keep our 
inventory moving and slim and yeah. you know make uh, tough decisions what? so there are benefits and it's difficult your nbda membership helps support bicycle retail radio go to nbda.com to join or renew your membership today So the basic business model that you guys have out there is, are you trying to appeal to a broad range of e-bike consumers? You'd mentioned kind of the practical cycling. Who's kind of your core consumer that's coming into your stores? Our customers, for the most part, are people who are riding to work or riding for some sort of, well, so... Historically, our customers were very, very practical. So in San Francisco, most of our customers are commuters or take their kids to school. There's very little. San Francisco city life is extremely pragmatic and busy. And so, you know, riding an e-bike is the fastest, most affordable way to get around the city. And so anybody who's kind of thinking outside the box is our customer, essentially. So we've got, you know, everybody from babysitters to people who are executives to retired people to high school students who buy bikes from us. And it's primarily a transportation-based purchase then? It's, yeah, it's heavily transportation-based. Now, in our store in Larkspur, there's a lot more leisure there's a history of mountain biking and recreational bicycling, both road and mountain, that is much stronger. So we cater to a lot of people who ride bikes from Marin to San Francisco. You can ride across the Golden Gate Bridge, and if you ride by bike, you save about $7 per day just on the toll. That doesn't include, you know, parking downtown or whatever. So there's a lot of people who ride in. But then there are you know, we have, uh, I would say, an older demographic in Marin, often, people who have spent their lives on bicycles, and e-bike is the opportunity to stay on a bicycle. And, you know, one thing that we really didn't, weren't involved with and didn't see coming, well, we saw it coming, but we, it wasn't our raison d'etre, it wasn't our, the reason for being, originally is cargo bicycles. So, you know, an electric cargo bike is about I don't know, hundreds of times more useful than a non-electric cargo bike, especially in a hilly place. That's become a major part of our business after the launch of, you know, mid-drive motors by Bosch about five years ago. So you're, I was looking at your website, which is absolutely beautiful. And I think that anybody that's selling e-bikes should probably spend a little time on your site. It would be helpful for them to understand how you're presenting the product. One thing that I noticed is obviously your stores have fairly small square footage. You carry a lot of brands. I'm assuming that you have a very kind of curated selection from each brand. Mm -hmm. Is that yeah, we do. to deal with your vendors at all? Do you ever have where they would like more floor space or how have you kind of navigated those waters? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that there is, well, there's a couple things that I want to touch on from what you said, right? The first thing, if you do look at our website, look at it from the perspective of understand that what we're doing, what our aim is, is not to present product, it's to present our service. So part of our service is the product that we carry, but that's just part of it. 
And so we're qualifying customers as new wheel customers or not new wheel customers through our website. And that's been a major part of our existence since before, you know, since we opened. So for, I think, four years, we had invested more in our website than we had invested in our storefronts. So that's just sort of a little background because it's been a very, very useful tool to make sure that the people who are coming into our store are the right people, are people who are going to be interested in the services that we have to offer. And that sort of dovetails into your question about, I think, the relationships that we have with our vendors. Our model is, again, because we have the challenge of our natural environment, which is super hilly, super bumpy, super salt watery, heavy use e-bike riding, we simply can't sell some types of electric bikes. I mean, customers would be really disappointed with the performance. And so we've always come from the perspective uh, that our job was to curate the best bicycles for an experience here in the Bay Area. And I think, and our perspective in terms of how we work with our vendors, with our vendor partners, is that we need them to succeed and they need us to succeed. So we try to be in really close contact with them. We're usually talking about product you know, way ahead of when it's actually going to be launching so that they can have a sense of what, you know, what our feedback is, what our interests are, what problems are that we've had with current product that we would like to see fixed on new products. And if we do see that fixed, how many units we think will sell. And because we're focused, we're able to move quite a few units of every bike that we sell. What you don't see on our website is that unlike most bike shops, our model is to have inside our stores, all of our bikes are demo bikes. You don't actually see hardly any stock bikes at all. So when people walk in, they can touch and ride and rent and kind of experience every bike that's on the floor. And then we have a warehouse where we stock new bikes. And when you choose what bike you want, we deliver a brand new bike. And so that helps us manage floor space. And it helps us really, you know, people, the test ride is the magic sauce, the secret sauce in e-bike sales. And generally speaking, people want to buy what they've tried. And so, you know, it's a matter of working with suppliers long term, helping them forecast, making adjustments as needed, and, you know, working to be good partners. I'm like so amazed. seems to me in the bike industry, there's a lot of tension between retailers and suppliers. And of course, there are moments of total tension at the new wheel between our suppliers and ourselves as well. But it seems to me that nobody wins if anybody loses. And so these sort of unequal power dynamics between brands and retailers, really, I understand the legacy they come from, but they sure don't serve anyone very well going forward. That was (laughs) very well put. The kind of the nuts and bolts of your business then, I'm assuming with the very high cost of living, the high cost of your retail space, you also have a warehouse. The margins on e-bike product has been, it's a definitely a conversation in the traditional bike shop world. Are they enough? Are they not enough? They're obviously higher dollar sales. 
Where do you stand on, you have such a really a different model than the traditional bike shop by far. What kind of margins do you like to see and are you able to get those? So the new wheel started selling e-bikes and working with e-bike importers and distributors uh, quite a while before, I would say, before the major brands got into it at all. And I think that, you know, a lot of bike shops aren't that sure or serious about e-bikes yet. And I would argue that a lot of the major brands aren't that sure or serious about e-bikes yet either. And that's reflected in the programs and in the, you know, manufacturing and stocking decisions that are made. And so, you know, very succinctly, 32% isn't even close to enough to be able to sell and support a rider on an e-bike for any amount of time. And I think that, you know, I think it's an unfortunate thing that, you know, regular programs are proposing margin like that. I think some of them start as low as 28% that I've seen because e-bikes have the potential to completely revolutionize the bicycle industry. But at a 28% margin, it's just not going to happen. You know, you can't have the staff on hand to know the product well enough. You can't have the expertise to support the customer well enough. The customer's quite well educated because most of them have done research online. There are a lot of players online. They're not all bicycle industry players. And there's a lot of garbage online. And so a lot of our job in the store is to re-educate riders so that they make a purchase that's going to be, you know, joyful and sustainable and profitable for the store. I don't know if I answered your question, David. Yes. I think I, I don't think that you gave me the number that you like. Oh, to oh. See, basically, but... yeah. I think the lowest we've ever gone is 35%. That's... for margin. And we okay. make up to, you know, 40 or 42% depending on how we negotiate and what kind of preseason we've written and how we're taking bikes and how we're paying for bikes. So that's our range. The reason that I'm so interested in that is I think kind of my own background, but then right now for kind of your traditional bike shop, e-bikes are obviously what is kind of the first thing that comes out of everybody's mouth if we start talking about what's hot or what's happening or what's coming in the future. But then retailers are struggling with the idea of the margins being so low and that there's all of this, you know, they're higher dollar sales. So they, it's okay that they're lower margins. And that's not really necessarily the case. And I, you said it so well that they require a much higher level of knowledge from the salesperson. They require much more mechanical work as they kind of go through the life cycle of that product and that all is going to require a little higher margin in order to make everybody happy. So that's kind of- Yeah, you got, and you like definitely... the customer, the rider comes from a different perspective. Like the rider is probably most often they're buying the most expensive bike they've ever bought in their life. They're understanding it as equivalent to any, you know, high dollar item that you would buy. And so they have expectations about the performance of the bike and the warranty on the bike. And there's a lot of education that goes along with, you know, the bike industry does stuff like they put 
crappy brakes, crappy disc pads on a bike and an e-bike rider can blow through those pads in 200 miles. Now, how do you explain to someone who just spent $4,500 on a bike that they have to spend $250 on brake and rotor upgrades, you know, 30 days after they buy their bike? That sort of thing is <laughs> like <laughs> just, it's a real challenge for the shop and for the customer and for the industry as a whole, like they're shooting themselves in the foot. So my belief is that there's way too much building bikes for price points instead of building bikes that have value and showing their value through performance. And that's just the sad state of affairs that the bike industry is in. Well, hopefully somebody's listening. <laughs> yeah. They'll, Come they'll on, guys. Come yeah, everybody's me. trying to hit that magical price point. And I think that that's where a lot of that product development goes. And then it's the things that you can't see, the brake pads that end up becoming a cost savings, but then it turns into an upsetting situation not too far down the road. So Right. And it's not only brake pads, it's, you know, the quality of the wheels, the brake pads, the, you know, drivetrain, all the stuff that you think you can get away with, you can't get away with on e-bikes because if you want to keep these people on e-bikes and buying, you know, quality, proper product instead of rad power or, you know, discount Chinese stuff, you're going to have to give a better rider experience than those brands are doing. And you have to show yourselves to be bicycle experts. And I think too often, you know, the bike industry does not show themselves as being bicycle experts to their customers. As far as labor goes and keeping the bikes on the road, mm -hmm. do you do anything differently than the traditional bike shop? You know, you get a 30 day warranty, one year on the parts and a lifetime on the frame. And then basically you can come back and get a tune up if you'd like. Do you offer more of a labor or service package to kind of keep them on the road? Do you do anything of that sort? Yeah, absolutely. So all of the bikes we sell come with a minimum two-year warranty. So that's one of the first questions we ask a supplier when we begin negotiations with them. We just won't carry anything that has under a two-year warranty. So the supplier most often, or the supplier always covers the cost of parts replacement. Increasingly, we're asking suppliers to cover labor, especially if there's any sort of persistent repetition in the problems that we're seeing, and we cover labor otherwise. So a customer who purchases an e-bike from us does not ever walk out having to pay for any part of a warranty. The other thing that we do is we offer what's called a service membership. So one of the important ways of keeping people on electric bikes and keeping people excited about electric bikes is sort of reframing for them what their service expectations need to be about bicycling and bikes generally. You know, in whatever way, you know, I never worked in a bicycle shop before opening the new wheels. I only know what I know through personal experience in bike shops and talking to a lot of people over the last 10 years. But, you know, bicycle service expertise has been devalued to a really massive extent uh, in the last many years. And so what we do is we try to give 
give some value back to the bike mechanic and to the shop, because we know that that's an area where we can really compete and where we really stand the chance to improving the rider's experience on their bike. So we sell service memberships, which are available only to customers who buy bikes from us. And that's an annual package that covers tune-up labor, brake pad installation, tire installation, tube replacement, that sort of thing. And so those are reoccurring memberships of either 149 or 249. They actually also include, we have a partnership with a roadside assistance company. And so anybody who buys one of our memberships gets roadside assistance for their e-bike. And so if they have a problem, they can call a number and essentially a cab or a tow truck comes and picks up their bike and brings it to us. And so that is, you know, another one of the services that's, I think, pretty, well, it's wonderful. I think we have, we've got tons of customers who come get service with us every year because we're literally in touch with them saying, hey, you paid for the service, bring your bike in, we'll take it for three days, turn around, you know, a great tune-up. And our goal is to have the bike as good as new back to them at the end of that. And that makes people feel really good about riding their bikes. So I'm assuming you have a fairly good sell-through then on those memberships. Yeah, we do. Okay. NBDA's newest program is called Rides. It will increase your store revenue and your customer loyalty. It's exclusive to NBDA members. Go to nbda.com and join today. So there's obviously, we've talked about the differences between traditional some of the differences between traditional bike shops and the new wheel and how it relates to e-bike sales with your kind of greenness, if you will, coming into the bicycle industry. Do you feel that that was much more of an asset than it was a liability, not knowing how you were supposed to do things in parentheses and kind of some of the institutionalized issues that we seem to have? Do you feel that that was a, basically an asset that you came into this fresh? Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. Because uh, you guys are doing things so differently. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. allows us to be creative, right? It allows us to think about this like a business instead of just like a bike shop, like a mission-driven business <laughs> that has an important reason for being and that is motivated by things that are bigger than just like, I don't know, we're motivated by bigger picture stuff. And so, I mean, I'm mostly thankful that we had the stroke of luck to start when we started and that we were in our 20s and had tons and tons of energy. I mean, Brett and I worked, you know, nonstop, no vacations, seven days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day for basically five and a half, six years. And I certainly couldn't do that now. And I'm just in my mid thirties, you know, <laughs> but that's what allowed us to open with a, a real, a pretty small initial investment and just keep things rolling, keep things tight, learn a lot and keep our mind open. I certainly, yeah, I mean, sorry, I'm not being very succinct, but yes, it was a huge benefit not to know what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> You, you said something in there that I thought was pretty funny about you started it and we're trying to run it like a business, not just a bike shop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, that, I think there, that's there's real. There's a lot like, in, that, in that statement. <laughs> I've had the opportunity now to work with a lot of bike shop veterans 
there's a real set of cultural assumptions about running a bicycle shop. And there's a real dynamic that has been cultivated between suppliers and retailers and riders and between kind of the past and the present and the future. And, you know, I think that needs to be, we need to shake it up because it's not very functional. It's not a fun way of doing business. And fundamentally, like if you can't pay your mechanics a decent living wage, or you can't have salespeople who know what they're talking about or are able to really support riders, I think there's a problem with the business model. Right. Well, hopefully. But there's also this like huge benefit. I mean, the bicycle industry is unlike really any other industry right now because we still have our shops, you know, and there's still a reason for us to exist, which is service. And local service in the bike industry is something that I think we all need to get much more serious about talking about. Excellent. So as we kind of start to wind this down, one of the things that you had mentioned was that you have a bigger purpose for your business or that you feel a bigger purpose to it all. And can you kind of touch on what that means to you a little bit and what the value that you feel that you're adding to not just your customers, but to your community? Um, yeah, I mean, so it's pretty straightforward. We just have an environmental reason for existing. <laughs> Any trip that you choose to take by bike or e-bike rather than by car actually has a pretty profound impact on the environment. And so what e-bikes do for a landscape like the Bay Area is they make bicycling fun, easy, and convenient, just like they are in Amsterdam or Copenhagen. So that is extremely motivating, especially because when you get people set up with the right bike and you service that bike well and you treat your riders and your customers well, you really stand the chance to see people rack up a lot of miles on their bikes. So it's not unusual for our customers to put, you know, anywhere from between one and 5,000 miles on their bikes per year. That's what most people put on their bikes. And I like to say we've got the benefit of the odometer. Like most bike shops don't know how many miles their customers put on their bikes. They know whether their chain is worn out or their tires are worn out. But, you know, there are many factors that can relate to that. So we really get to see the impact that we're having every day. So that's the big picture. It's really about changing the way people move, giving opportunity here in the United States to make real change in something that is as entrenched as car culture is. Because in cities especially, riding an e-bike is just way better than riding a car. And I'm assuming there's some cost benefits as well. I don't live in San Francisco, but I think that owning a car and paying to park it and all of the things that go along with that are much more expensive than owning an e-bike. Yeah, there are cost benefits, health benefits, you know, consumption benefits, stress benefits. I mean, a car is really expensive in San Francisco. There's also bad traffic, bad parking. You're, you know going to get a parking ticket every now and then, that sort of thing. But I kind of think that's only like a small, very easy to access part of it. Once people start riding bikes, you know, any bike shop person who listens to this podcast will understand that 
you know, bikes change lives. And if you are really serious about e-bikes and you are really serious about getting people on them and helping them use them a lot, you're just seeing a lot more lives change. And that is very motivating and very fun. Okay, I have a curveball for you. Do you, how do I put this? If I want to kind of ask you where you see the e-bike going, not just for New Wheel, but for uh -huh. the bicycle industry. One of the things that I'm the most fascinated about about your business is that you obviously have built and are operating a very good business based just on e-bikes. And the bicycle retailers are just looking at the e-bike. There's some that have done great with them, but many are just starting to look at those bikes and get into them. What Number one, do you feel that there's any threat to an e-bike only business? And have you ever considered doing traditional bikes or is that just something that would not happen? And in the next three to five years, do you see any really major changes? This is a lot loaded question in how your business is going as it relates to, I guess, competition in parentheses with the traditional bicycle shops that may become more e-bike oriented. I think two things. I don't think the new wheel will ever carry regular bicycles. I think that one of the strategic mistakes that a lot of bike shops make and that a lot of bike manufacturers make is kind of thinking that you want to be everything to everybody. And I think that's just a recipe for disaster. So we won't be doing that. Do I think that the arrival of e-bikes in regular bike shops poses a threat to the new wheel? No, I think that it poses an opportunity to bike shops. It also poses a number of real challenges to bike shops and it poses the opportunity for the industry to do better. And for the new wheel to do better, the industry needs to do better. There needs to be more bikes sold, more ridership, more infrastructure. This needs to be a bigger topic in more places. So I hope that in three to five years, we're talking about, you know, federal rebates for people who choose to purchase e-bikes instead of an electric car. I hope that we're talking about, you know, massive infrastructure increases, which will help a huge number of new people get onto e-bikes. And frankly, the new wheel can't, can't support a change like that in the Bay Area by ourselves we would need a lot more players and a lot of bike shops to get into this but unfortunately i don't think that's really how the bike industry is thinking about it and that's why you see those lousy margins and the sort of oh this is just another part of your lineup so that you can service and serve the needs of you know the baby boomer who walks in your store who wants to step through e-bike or wants to keep riding a mountain bike or whatever. I don't think that our industry is thinking in very visionary terms as a general rule. And so, you know, I hope that if the new wheel has any impact, it's to try to help people getting, you know, to help us all think in bigger ways. You don't have to think in my same big way, but let's think big picture. Let's think about what success looks like and stop being so worried about, you know, competition of your neighbor or the success or failure of your neighbor. Really, we all need to find more success and that needs to be the goal.
That's a super refreshing answer. That was very good. Is there anything that you would like to kind of go out on in our conversation? I threw that was a really bad curveball question. I apologize. <laughs> I mean, the, there... the one ad I would make there, though, is that, you know, we are already seeing competition from a little bit from bike shops, a lot from online discounting brands, and also just just new micro mobility players. So Uber and Lyft and, you know, electric scooters and solo wheels and all this stuff. These are all essentially forms of competition. I think e-bikes are the best <laughs> uh, for a lot of reasons. I think the bicycle platform is the best. But competition is good. Competition just makes you work harder and be smarter and think bigger. So I'm very motivated by competition. Awesome. What is your website address? It's newwheel, is it .com or .net? No, it's www.newwheel.net. Okay. Anybody that's listening, I think that it would be great if they checked out your website. I thought that it was it was so unique, obviously, to the bicycle world, the way that it kind of navigated. I really was impressed by, and like you said, it's you're not necessarily selling the product. You were qualifying customers and that makes much more sense when you explained that to me after I had played around in there for a little while. But Karin, this was super fun. I wish we could keep going because I have so many more questions <laughs> that I would love to ask you, but we're pretty much out of time. But I super appreciate you coming on today. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. And yeah, let's keep the conversation going. We all got to, awesome. you know, grow this pie and float this boat a little bit higher. This has been Bicycle Retail Radio by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. For more information on membership and member benefits, join us at nbda.com. Thank you.